We left off in a serene and vibrant meadow, its energy transformed by your newfound clarity and attention to your emotions after calibrating your emotional compass. And in the distance, a mysterious shape, a mystical presence of sorts, had appeared. Its energy seems to pull you toward it, like an external force reeling you in. You wonder if you should feel fear, but instead, your breathing remains light and natural. Your limbs feel loose, your shoulders lighten, you feel alert and ready to bolt in the other direction if you need to. But you feel assured that you can handle whatever emerges from the unknown. You are trusting yourself and the direction your compass is guiding you in. Let's dive in. Quiet, not silent. A lot of literature about BPD, especially stuff you find on social media, suggests or gives off this idea that people with BPD feel completely random and unjustified emotions. But our emotions are usually appropriate for the situation, it's just that the intensity is not always appropriate, and they might get so intense that it's affecting our ability to respond effectively to a particular situation. For example, people with BPD are known to have quote-unquote inappropriate anger, but is it actually inappropriate? Or is it just perceived by others as inappropriate because they can't see what our brain has done to perceive and interpret the situation? To understand your emotions, it might be helpful to break them down into a concept called primary and secondary emotions. When you're starting off on your path to navigating your emotional landscape, compare it to preparing for a hike and looking at a map of the terrain so you generally know what to expect when you embark and you're not just setting off into unknown territory. For a while, while you're learning about your emotions, there's going to be a bit of time when you're pretty much intellectualizing your emotions, and that's okay. It's really just a phase and you will eventually internalize that knowledge. Exploring what it means to have primary and secondary emotions, where they can come from, why they come up for you, etc., is truly like looking at an emotions map and observing what's there so you can better enjoy your hike and be alert and prepared on the journey as well in case a problem comes up. Primary emotions are often referred to as basic or fundamental emotions. They are instinctive and immediate reactions to specific stimuli or situations. These emotions are believed to be biologically hardwired in humans, and even in some animals, serving as adaptive responses to various circumstances. Primary emotions are typically very easy to identify and can be recognized across different cultures. 
These are the emotions that are typically very easily expressed through body language without needing words. Things like joy, feelings of excitement, contentment, even satisfaction, sadness, fear, there's surprise, then there's anger. Anger is also often referred to as a secondary emotion, which is valid. There are many times anger does become a secondary emotion. Secondary emotions are more complex and nuanced emotional responses that arise from the interaction of primary emotions and then other factors. They can be influenced by cultural, social, and even just individual experiences and perspectives. And when you're processing and working through these emotions, it often requires some introspection and self-awareness. Things like guilt. Guilt arises from the perception that you've violated your own moral or ethical standards, and it often involves a sense of responsibility for negative actions. Guilt is really good because it motivates people to make amends for the things that they've done wrong. Shame is also another one. It's related to guilt, but it focuses on negative evaluations of yourself rather than your actions. It's often tied to feelings of inadequacy or unworthiness. People with quiet BPD especially struggle with a lot of internalized and unjustified shame. There's jealousy. Jealousy happens when there's perceived threat to your valued relationships or your possessions. And it's often a combination of primary emotions like fear, anger, and sadness. Then there's empathy. And empathy involves understanding and sharing the feelings of others. And it's more so a complex emotional response that combines the recognition of another person's emotions with your own emotional response. So in summary, primary emotions are instinctive and universal, while secondary emotions are more complex and are influenced by multiple factors like your primary emotions, cognitive processes, and your individual experiences. And both primary and secondary emotions play a really crucial role in human emotional experiences. An example that I can think of is feeling fear and then feeling anger because of that fear or in order to cope with the fear. When people with BPD have perceived or interpreted something as abandonment, even if it doesn't fit the facts, our own reality where we are facing what we deeply fear feels very real to us. So when we become dysregulated and cope with that through quote-unquote inappropriate rage or anger, it's usually because we're reacting to something that feels like abandonment and it creates fear. And then anger is the secondary emotion as a result. The thing is, these are very quick reactions. We have not learned to buy ourselves time and slow things down. And when we aren't mindful of our body's physical reactions to our emotions, and not in tune to that, it's very easy to get into an automatic reaction instead of responding in an effective or constructive way to your emotions. We did a body scan last episode just to get used to noticing sensations in your body that come up depending on what you're feeling. Emotions are not just abstract feelings. They also have a physiological component, right? When you experience emotions, your body reacts in various ways, like changes in your heart rate or muscle tension, your breathing patterns, and even hormonal shifts. 
It's why depression makes us lethargic. It's why anxiety makes us sweaty. It's why disgust makes us feel queasy. It's why embarrassment makes us turn red. It helped me to refer to a chart called Emotions in the Body, and it's a chart from a study in 2013 that was meant to see how people felt tension, heat, weakness, or even slowness in their body, depending on the emotions they felt. This chart helped me understand feelings of contempt or disgust, for example. I'll link it in the show notes for you. When you're feeling anxious, you might experience a rapid heart rate, shallow breathing, muscle tension, especially in the shoulders and the neck, and a sensation of butterflies or tightness in your stomach. During moments of sadness, you might feel a heaviness in your chest or a lump in your throat, and even a sense of physical fatigue or lethargy. Anger might lead to increased body heat, clenched fists, heightened muscle tension, and a surge of adrenaline. Experiencing joy can lead to a light feeling in your body, also a surge of energy, a racing heart, and a feeling of restlessness. And that restlessness can create urges to jump around and dance, for example. When you're afraid, your body might react with a quickened heartbeat, widened eyes, rapid breathing, and a heightened sense of alertness. So, being attuned to these bodily sensations can provide really valuable information about your emotions. Taking note of how they manifest physically can help you become more aware of what you're feeling and why. And these are signals that your body is sending that are saying, yo, pay attention. Pay attention or else shit is going to get out of control. When you pay attention to what is happening in your body, when you feel something, you can better recognize what you're feeling, right? Which then allows you to acknowledge and validate that feeling for yourself, and then you can choose how to respond. You naturally are buying yourself time. When you're getting into an argument, for example, and you recognize that you're getting angry and overwhelmed, you might notice tension in your chest, a painful lump in your throat, heat on your face, or heat and tension in your arms and your hands. That's how I feel anger. The tension in your throat gives you urges to release it, which is why people raise their voice or even yell when they're angry. The tension in your arms and your hands gives you urges to release that, which is why anger gives us the urge to punch or throw something. On the flip side, when you feel a pleasant emotion like pride, you also feel a different pleasant kind of tension in your upper body and your face, which is why people put their arms in the air, they cheer, they yell really loudly, and they grin as big as they can when they feel pride. It releases the buildup of that emotion, and it turns it into emotional expression. So our body is the blueprint, and our words become second. Without language at all, humans are able to generally understand what another person is feeling by their facial expressions and their body language. When you notice these things in your body, and you notice that there is tension that needs to be released, you can navigate that emotion in a way that's helpful rather than harmful. How do we figure out, though, if our emotions are justified? Well, your emotions are not only justified when they fit the facts, and only then. A person's reality includes 
what is going on in their mind and not just their external reality. Figuring out if your emotions are justified can be a complex process because emotions are subjective and influenced by a lot of different things, right? We can acknowledge that sometimes our emotions might not reflect what's happening externally while also making sure that we don't invalidate ourselves over that. You can start by identifying the event or the situation or the thought that triggered your emotions. Consider whether the trigger is something that would typically evoke similar emotions in other people. I always ask myself, would any reasonable person feel like this too in response? Then you should try to assess the intensity of your emotions. It's natural to experience strong emotions, especially during challenging situations. So personally, it helps me to visualize the intensity of my emotions on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most intense, unbearable, overwhelming level of emotion. Anywhere from like an 8 to a 10 is a signal to me that I need to bring the intensity down first before deciding how to respond or deal with the situation. 8 to 10 level emotion is like emotion territory where your judgment flies out the window. This territory is very painful and this is usually where people resort to very impulsive and self-destructive behavior and ways of coping. Consider your personal history as well. Like, reflect on your past experiences and beliefs that might contribute to your emotional response. Sometimes past traumas or triggers can amplify your emotions in the present. So when I was being treated for PTSD, my emotional responses became incredibly heightened and even the smallest triggers affected me a lot. And in this case, sure, we know our emotions don't match reality, but the unprocessed emotions from the past have bubbled up because something in our current reality has pressed the rewind button. Another way to check if your emotions are justified is to check for cognitive distortions. So if you're like me and you have a huge issue with catastrophizing and just like imagining the worst case scenario or especially black and white thinking, so the splitting thing, that might be influencing your emotional perception. So check yourself on that. Sometimes I have trouble checking myself though. Or I often also struggle with doubting myself. So don't feel bad if you need to seek external input and just discuss your emotions with friends you trust or obviously your therapist. And they can provide an outside perspective and offer insights into whether your emotions are aligned with the situation, if that makes sense. It might also be good for you to consider your values and your boundaries. So evaluate whether your emotions are connected to your values, boundaries, or like personal principles. Because sometimes emotions signal a need to address something that's misaligned with your values. For example, if something feels off and you feel like you need to repeatedly vent about someone, that might be a signal that you need to set some boundaries in your life in that area. And if you notice recurring patterns of overreacting or even underreacting, like avoiding your emotions, it might be worth having a look at why certain emotions are triggered in specific situations. 
this one kind of delves into trauma work, but it's definitely worth it to understand the patterns you engage in and why, so you can break those patterns. Quite often, your emotions are justified, and it's not entirely helpful to act on them, but you still need to let out your emotions and process them somehow. Dialectical behavior therapy includes a skill called opposite action to emotion, which can be helpful when you're experiencing intense and overwhelming emotions that you recognize as getting to the point where they're not helpful anymore to the situation. And this skill is particularly useful for managing and regulating emotions associated with distress, like anxiety, fear, anger, or sadness. I would consider using the opposite action skill when your emotions are disproportionate. So if your emotional reaction feels overly intense for the situation and you realize that acting on those emotions are going to lead to shitty consequences, that's a good time to use opposite action. When your emotions are interfering with your ability to think clearly and make rational decisions or engage in healthy behaviors. Times when they're unproductive, if it's not helping you achieve your goals or improve the situation, but your emotions in fact are making the situation worse, or if they're counterproductive, so when they're leading you to behave in ways that are not really aligned with your values or your long-term goals and would likely sabotage those goals. For example, if you're angry at your boss and you hate the culture at your job, but quitting your job is legit not a financially responsible or feasible option for you, you might use opposite action to counteract the anger while you bide your time and go apply for other jobs with better environments before quitting this one. That was a real example I had to use, honestly, a lot. Like, when, I, especially when I worked at Starbucks for, like, two or three years. Oh. My. God. When you're feeling fear, you get the urge to run away or avoid something. But if you know that the thing that you're scared of doing should not be avoided, and acting opposite to your fear is going to help you accomplish something you need to do, you need to approach that fear instead. So, for me, like, I was really scared to move across the country and pursue a degree in a very niche field. I had to approach my fear and follow my dream. I was scared to leave my abusive partner of two years because I was scared to be alone, and I was scared that no one would love me again. I had to approach that fear and free myself. And last year, I was really scared to leave Toronto and move home to start a small business and follow my new passions. I was really scared of failure and I had to approach that fear and do it anyway or I would regret not trying. When you're feeling angry, you have the urge to fight or attack. But if you know that attacking is not going to accomplish anything and would make the situation worse, you have to act opposite and avoid or retreat instead. Basically, how I remember this one is swords down. 
not only that, but emotionally, you can act opposite. So you can feel pity or even compassion while still validating your anger for someone. I've felt a lot of anger for people who have treated me badly. And when I act opposite to that anger, I think to myself, they acted that way because they are insecure. Because they are not healed. Because they don't know any better. Because they are ignorant. What about sadness? When you're overcome and weighed down by sadness, you might have the urge to isolate yourself or retreat from things that could potentially spark joy for you. You might feel sad because you've lost someone or because you feel like you've failed. Opposite action to sadness encourages you to take steps to counteract the sadness and engage with the world around you. It's good to feel sad and to have a good cry. But for people like us, we can become so heavy with sadness that we rob ourselves of joy. Opposite actions for sadness would be to watch a funny movie, or listen to really high-energy music, or even send memes to your friends. And when the urge is to isolate and disengage, the opposite would be to connect and engage. Visiting with people sending a message, dancing, laughing, connecting with the world, and making art. When I was recovering from domestic violence, and the world was already so isolated because of COVID, all I wanted to do was to be left alone. And I didn't want to see anyone. I wanted to rot in my room forever, and I went entirely into goblin mode. I was overcome with sadness that this had happened to me. I was scared. I had reported my abuser and I had no idea what was going to happen or how anything was going to pan out. I was scared to face all of the emotions that I needed to process. I was scared of the emotional pain that I was going to have to face and deal with and work through. And I was angry. I was angry at everything this person put me through. I was angry that he existed. I was angry that he had weaponized my disorder against me a lot of times to gaslight and manipulate me. And I really wanted to lash out at him and everyone who enabled him. I was angry at myself I was angry because I felt as if it was all my fault that I did something to deserve this pain. I felt like I deserved what I went through because I wasn't strong enough or smart enough or good enough. I was angry at myself and I had to act opposite to these emotions to survive them and to cope. It was the only way I was going to be able to tolerate them enough so that I could move through them. I acted opposite to the fear I had by speaking up to others about what had happened. I was scared to keep living and I acted opposite and I kept going every single day. I kept surviving. I didn't run away from my trauma. 
I didn't avoid my emotions any longer. I faced my emotions. I got up close and personal with them. And I let the pain out so I could move through it. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I acted opposite to my sadness. And because of COVID lockdowns, I couldn't connect with my friends in real life and my support system. I had to connect to people somehow. So I sought out a community and I started speaking about my experiences with BPD on TikTok to see if it would help other people and not just me. And it did. And I eventually created an entire community on Discord for people with quiet BPD specifically. And it became my lifeline. And it inspired me to keep creating and keep connecting and keep speaking. I acted opposite to the anger that I directed at myself. And I showed compassion for myself. I needed to understand that no, I never deserved any of what happened. There wasn't anything I could have done to have deserved the abuse. And instead of attacking myself, I had to nurture myself. I am good enough. I am smart enough. I am strong enough. And none of anything that I am or am not influenced the behavior and justified the behavior that someone else chose actively, consciously, to engage in and inflict on me. I acted opposite to the anger I felt for him. I let myself feel my anger. Don't get me wrong, I, I let myself feel it. And I still do sometimes. But the anger was so intense for a long time that I had to act opposite to tolerate it. I thought to myself, he is insecure. He is not self-aware. He is a sad individual with no meaningful, authentic connections to anyone. He is emotionally a loner. And his punishment, if anything, is that he has to continue being who he is. A sad, insecure, unfulfilled, hollow shell of a person. And that is really sad. That is really sad. Oh well. And that's my story on how I've acted opposite to emotion before. So, I haven't really shared and been this vulnerable, I don't think, on an episode yet. And I figured these are really important examples and they're very non-trivial examples of times when we can use opposite action to get through the emotion and move through it. When is it good, though? to act on your emotions because there are times a lot when it's good to act on your emotions. I've said it before that all emotions are good and it's just the intensity sometimes that makes emotions turn into an issue. When you've brought the intensity down and you can go into problem solving and expression mode, 
You can harness your emotions and use them to make good shit happen. Anger's really good because you can use it to make change happen. You can use anger to motivate you to advocate for something you care about. You can use anger tactfully. It can motivate you to raise a complaint about something that's stopping you from reaching a goal that you have, which can lead to problem solving. Productive anger can show up collectively through protests. It can motivate people to organize gatherings that raise awareness about social issues. It can motivate people to seek justice in order to regain something that they have lost or to hold people accountable for their harmful actions. Fear is also great. It helps to protect you. It urges you to remove yourself from a threatening situation, aka flight mode. It sparks adrenaline in you and can quickly motivate you to take control of a situation that has become an immediate threat, aka fight mode. Disgust is great as well. Disgust is kind of slept on, honestly. It's a form of fear that specifically serves to protect you. It urges you to avoid gross or icky, poisonous things. It keeps you from being potentially contaminated. And it protects you from predatory people and from discriminatory people. It helps you to follow your values and steer away from people who might try to influence you to compromise your personal values. There's sadness that helps us process grief and loss. And it helps us to pursue joy. It helps bring people together to comfort each other in a collective grief. It helps us seek connection and healing through community. Then there's anxiety, and that can put us in a position of something called eustress, so the opposite of distress, which motivates us to get things done. And it can help you with problem solving and decision making very quickly. It can provide a signal to you that you might need to set better boundaries in your life, whether it's with your time, or with other people, or with yourself. The reason why I'm explaining all of this to you is because growing up, I always thought that emotions were bad, and that expressing them was bad. And I had learned from different environments that if I showed emotions, I was weak or pathetic. And I wished so badly that I was a robot growing up. I wished I could have woken up one day and just never felt any emotions ever again. I was bullied and belittled at school by kids and teachers too, um, which is really fucked up, for showing emotions, even joy. Like, I never felt like I fully fit in as a child, and I was really confused all the time about what I was doing wrong. I ended up blaming everything on my emotions. And I just thought, like, if I never feel anything, I can't feel pain either. And I just need to be more chill. I just need to get a grip. Nothing should ever affect me. I can't show weakness or fear. I can't let anything get to me. But the more I resisted, the more I suffered, the more pain I felt. The harder it was to contain everything and be composed. I couldn't be my authentic self. I lost myself. And I had to learn not only that emotions were powerful tools, but why and how they were 
It was the only way I could eventually accept them and eventually myself. When you're learning and practicing this stuff, you might be concerned about like, what if I mess up? Because I've been there. Dealing with emotions and learning to regulate them can be really challenging and it's super normal to face moments when things don't go as planned. Emotions are very complex and more often than not, they can feel overwhelming for people with BPD. So I want you to remember, like please, please remember that it's a learning process. I know that's cliche. But developing emotion regulation skills takes time, just like any skill. And there are going to be times when you struggle, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're failing. It just means you're learning and you're growing and you're just in that process. And it's not about perfection. Like, emotion regulation isn't about being perfect. That's for robots, and you're not a robot. It's about finding healthier ways to manage your emotions. Even if you have moments when you struggle to regulate your emotions, every effort that you make counts. And as long as you don't give up and you keep going, that is winner shit. I've said it before. I will never get tired of saying it. As long as you don't give up and you keep going, that is winner shit. Also, celebrate your efforts. Celebrate the times when you do successfully regulate your emotions. These victories, no matter how small, are proof of your progress and your growth. It's winner shit. I'm telling you, you are a winner. (laughs) Those things that I've told you to remember, those are a start. And It becomes a lot easier to be compassionate and forgiving of yourself when you acknowledge things that might be affecting your ability to cope with your emotions in a helpful way. They're called vulnerability factors. There's an acronym for a few really simple ones that I use, and I I don't remember where I learned this, but it's called HALT. H-A-L-T. So, ask yourself, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? I ask myself if I'm any of these things, and I try to address those needs as soon as I can. It also leads me to consider other things as well, like, am I sick? If I am, that's probably a factor. It's pretty stressful to be sick. Or stress in general, like, am I stressed about work? Am I stressed about money? Am I stressed about something big coming up? Vulnerability factors in the context of emotions refer to circumstances that can make you more susceptible to emotional challenges or distress or difficulty in managing your emotions. They're like weak points or like pain points. They're not excuses. They're just explanations for you to be able to understand where things may have gone wrong and how those things affect your ability to respond effectively. Things like, 
exposure to trauma, abuse, significant life stressors, chronic illness. Um, it's stressful as hell to have a chronic illness, so physical health conditions can affect your emotional well-being, for sure. Substance use or dependence can really disrupt your emotional regulation and amplify your emotional challenges. Things like lack of social support and isolation, because um, that's a human need. There's also like environmental factors as well, including your family dynamics, like other social support networks, even honestly cultural influences can to an extent impact your emotional development. You could use DBT skills like out the wazoo, but if you're in an environment that's constantly like, like where you're constantly gaslit by people around you, that's a vulnerability factor. That's like a major vulnerability factor. And that ties into relationship dynamics. If you're surrounded by unhealthy or unsupportive relationships, that's going to contribute to your emotional distress, particularly and especially if they involve criticism or manipulation or neglect. So these factors are really good starting points for showing yourself some compassion when you make a mistake and you end up coping with your overwhelming emotions in less than ideal ways. When we grow up in an invalidating environment, we tend to internalize that invalidation and we don't learn how to show ourselves compassion. We don't understand really what validating ourselves looks like and it makes us seek out external validation quite often. A huge part of being more comfortable with our emotions, even the uncomfortable ones, is learning to practice self-compassion and learning to validate ourselves when others cannot or will not do this for us. Even as adults, just because we're not children anymore, it doesn't mean that the invalidation ends. Because we're so used to being around invalidating environments, it's very common for people with BPD to surround themselves with emotionally immature and invalidating or dismissive people who need to do their own healing work as well. You are not responsible for them. You can only be responsible for your own emotions, and this is why it's very important to learn how to validate yourself, especially when you're faced with direct invalidation. Your emotions are valid by nature. This is another thing I, I really want you to pay attention to and remember. Your emotions are valid by nature because they reflect your personal reactions and your experiences. They are real. They are worth acknowledging regardless of whether your emotions are justified by outside standards. And people out there might say things to you like, just get over it, or you're acting irrational, when you might not even be expressing your feelings about a situation in an outrageous way. Asking yourself things like, would any reasonable person feel this way about this situation, given my circumstances, can really help a lot in validating yourself. And you can quietly assure yourself, I'm not actually acting irrational. They just don't understand. They don't have all the info. 
And I'm allowed to be upset. They can't just make me stop being upset by something that any reasonable person would straight up be upset by. So I want you to try to write yourself some like realistic reminders, pretty much like affirmations to say to yourself when you need to validate yourself, okay? And I'll give you some if you don't want to come up with them, if you just want to like not think, totally fair. Here's some. I am learning to navigate my emotions and I am human. I am allowed to feel how I feel. And if someone has an issue with it, that is their problem. These emotions don't make me less of a person. It's okay to feel them. And be gentle with yourself no matter what. Emotions can be intense. And it's okay to have moments when they feel out of control. But please remind yourself, I really, I really, really want you to remind yourself, you are doing the best you can with the skills and the knowledge that you have in this moment. You got this. You can do this. Amidst the transformed meadow, the atmosphere is charged with anticipation. The enigmatic shapes that had emerged still linger at the edge of your vision, their nature cloaked in intrigue. You feel the pulse of your own heartbeat and tightness in your legs and your chest. And then, as if responding to an invisible cue, the mist at the periphery begins to shift, unveiling two graceful figures. Your breath catches as recognition dawns. Two deer stand before you, their eyes like mirrors of insight, gazing directly into your own. A profound connection forms between you and them as you lock onto each other's gaze. A sense of clarity prevails over the once shrouded mystery. They represent more than just figures in the meadow. It feels as if they embody your newfound ability to navigate the meadow with confidence and poise. As you approach, they seem to regard you with a knowingness, trying to remind you that you're not alone in this journey of self-discovery. The meadow, once an expanse of uncertainty and hesitation, transforms into a safe haven place where your emotional compass can guide you to the heart of your experiences. With each step, you sense a ripple of energy as if you're stepping into a space of quiet reverence. As you draw closer, the deer gracefully turn and begin to bound across the meadow. Their movements are fluid, effortless, and you follow their lead. The act of calibrating your emotional compass was not merely a technical process. It's a profound transformation that has led you to this encounter. The deer are messengers of your emotional landscape, inviting you to navigate its depths with the same grace and intuition that they embody. And then something magnificent 
unfolds before you. In the distance, a vast mountain range emerges against the horizon. Their peaks rise high, shrouded in a veil of mist that hints at their might. A mix of awe and wonder fills the air as you behold these imposing giants. They command attention, their sheer size and grandeur leaving you in a momentary state of humility. Within their formidable presence lies a beauty that's hard to put into words. It's a paradox, intimidating and breathtaking all at once. With the deer as your guides, you head toward the mountains. The journey feels like a dance, a synchronicity between your steps and the rhythm of your heartbeat. With your eyes set on the mountains, you sense that this is a journey of both external exploration and inner discovery. They stand as a promise of adventure and growth, a symbol of the infinite landscapes within you waiting to be explored and understood. You recognize that you are indeed a wayfarer, learning to navigate the vast and expansive terrain of your emotions, and you will emerge stronger, more aware, and more in control of your inner complexities. Amazing. We did it. You've begun your emotional landscape journey. I am honestly proud of you. This is the end of season one, and wow. It's been a really fun thing for me to make for you. And I'm going to begin production for season two soon. I'm really looking forward to setting it up. If you haven't already, I would really, really appreciate it if you left a review and a rating if my pod has helped you out. And you can even send me an email. I I honestly, I love hearing from people. If there's anything specifically that you want an episode about, now is your time to let me know. And in the meantime, while production is happening, I'll periodically put out some mindfulness stuff. I'll also still be active on Patreon, so if you want episodes of The Quiet Files as well as recovery-focused worksheets and other fun stuff I design, you can head over there. Link is in the show notes. Until then, I hope you have an amazing fall. You are honestly incredible for listening, and I am super grateful. So thank you so much. Keep going and keep growing. Silence. I'm creative here. I've been growing my heads.